Uh, we are in the book of Proverbs, and we're talking about parenting. Um, now, some of you here today say, well, I'm, I'm out of that stage of life, or I'm not yet in that stage yet, or I'm not a parent. Parenting is, huge, is a huge subject to talk about, something that affects every one of us, because all of us in this room can testify to the good or the bad effects that our parents had on us. Um, and we can see that they can affect us for good or, or for ill. And we know that God has given tremendous power to parents. I can't tell you how many times that I've had someone in my office or sitting across from them, and I'm trying to help them understand and deal with wounds that a parent had caused and affected them so greatly. And we need to, to clear away all of the things that are going on in our lives and say, what does the Bible say about parenting? Because honestly, a lot of what we see today going on about parenting in the world is messed up. I mean, and it's culturally conditioned. And we think that our way of parenting has a tendency to be right. As I was thinking that, about this and preparing for this message, I came across a fantastic article that was talking about different global parenting skills that have not yet caught on in the United States. So I think we should try some of these here. Like, for example, in Norway, do you know that they take their one-year-old babies? Um, and at, In Norway, all of the children at one years old, all of them are taken to kind of a kindergarten where they... Without exception, where they go and they're taken care of most of the day. And then when it's nap time, they bundle the babies up, this is true, bundle them up and stick them outside in freezing cold weather. And that's normal because they have this almost fixation with fresh air because they believe it's good for them. Isn't that a little weird? To us as Americans, a little strange. Or how about in Denmark? Denmark, this is a good one. What they do is when they go shopping, they just park the stroller outside of the department store and go inside with the baby in it. There's just all of these rows of babies there. And no one takes them, no one does anything because they um, also have a desire to um, get their children fresh air. A little strange, huh? Matter of fact, one couple, American man and a Danish woman, were in New York City, went shopping and actually went into a barbecue restaurant, just parked the baby outside and went inside. And she was arrested for neglect, right? Because we have these things to do in the United States. In Japan, it's not uncommon for uh, parents to send their four-year-old or seven-year-old child on the subway by themselves running errands all around Tokyo. No one says a thing about them. They get around fine. I mean, I, I barely let my child go into the living room without supervision. I mean, these are different things. In Vietnam, Vietnamese mothers teach their children to urinate on command. True story. Every time that the child goes to the bathroom, they whistle like that. And so it's like Pavlov's dog. The child gets this, and, uh, and by, you think it's funny, but by the age of nine months, most Vietnamese children are out of diapers. But I would just hate to be those parent, that kid at a basketball game when everybody's, <laughs> ah! <laughs> Something happens like that. These are different parenting things that go on in the world. And, and with the Kisi people in Kenya, the mothers, when their babies are cooing and coddling, won't look at them, won't give them eye contact because they believe that's a way of conferring power and authority. So they won't do that because they don't want the children to think more of themselves than they should. And they, and they find that, and studies have shown that their children are more balanced and not as selfish in society. So there's all these different things that, that parenting that goes on. And there's certain things that we do in our culture that are messed up. 
Matter of fact, I was reading one author this past week, um, and she was saying that one only has to go to uh, Barnes & Noble into the parenting section to see all of the books, which lets her believe and understand that no one knows what's going on. <laughs> so we have all of this confusion going on around us. We have to say, what does the Word of God say to us? Now, you might be out of that stage of parenting. Well, then this is for you as well because this helps you to helpfully instill in that next generation or pray for your children or grandchildren that might be adults. If you're a student and not yet a parent, you need to pay attention to this. We're also going to talk about how a child should be and what your parents are doing and how you should respond to that. And chances are you will be a parent one day. And we need to make sure that we are doing it God's way. But, so we're going to have mis- miscellaneous text. We don't have just one text. We're going to be moving back and forth throughout the book of Proverbs. But before we go any further, let's pause for a moment and get God's blessing on our time together today. Father, I, I thank you for this opportunity to uh, share your word, to look within your word. Lord, I pray that you help remove any of the barriers that we have learned and negatively or from our culture, uh, what they have taught us that is not accordance with your word. Lord, we know that all truth is your truth. And Lord, we pray that your truth finds fertile soil in our hearts that we might be the parents or grandparents uh, that you desire us to be. We pray your blessing on this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we can see, though, just as I was talking, uh, parenting isn't easy. How many of you think parenting is easy? If you raise your hand, then you don't have children. Parenting is hard, is it not? How many parents can testify that it's hard? How many parents had to get up in the middle of the night? How many parents are tired right now because of their children? Okay? It's true. Parenting is hard. Matter of fact, I think of the story about this uh, young girl who asked her mother this question. She said, Mama, why do you have so much gray hair? Her mother looked at her daughter and sternly said, Every gray hair is representative of a time you were disobedient to me. I have gray hairs because of your rebellion. The girl looked genuinely puzzled. Mama, so are you the reason Grandma has so much gray hair too? (laughs) Right? Parenting's hard. Parenting is hard for every one of us. Matter of fact, one author said that there is a crisis of American parenting going on all around us because parents today are obsessed with raising the happiest, most successful, the most well-adjusted leaders of the future. But there's a danger in thinking about that, thinking there's one right way to do it. How much of how we parent is actually dictated by our culture and not what the Word of God says? How do the ways we parent express the essentialness of who we are as a nation, of who God is? Because, see, when we parent, we are communicating to the child their identity, who they are. That's who we learn who we are from our parents. Usually from our fathers, we learn about our identity. From our mothers, we learn a lot about our self-esteem. That's why it's essential to have a father and a mother. That's how God has designed it to be. And I understand you might be in a situation where it's not that way. You could be a single parent. Uh, you, could, you could have this thrust upon you because of the death of a spouse, and you're, you're forced to be in a role that you do not desire or feel equipped to do. I understand where you're at. I grew up in a house. My father died when I was quite young, and I had just me and my mom for several years. And, and I love my mother, and she sacrificed for me, and she did a great deal for me. But you know what, I can't understand, no matter how hard she tried, she still couldn't be a father. She tried her best. And I, I remember taking her outside, and I wanted to play catch. And I tried to play catch with her, and I'm like, you're not good at this. 
And she tried. She tried. But there's something about having a father and a mother. That's how God has designed it to be. And he has a way for us to parent. And we must follow his words on the subject. Some people think that parenting is child's play, but it's anything but. And if we love our children and want what's best for them, then it requires us doing a few things. First of all, following God's direction on parenting. We must be following God's direction on parenting. And look at Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. It's right there at the beginning of Proverbs. If you have your finger there, if you have a hard time finding Proverbs, just look it up in the table of contents. There will be verses uh, with chapter numbers, and then uh, there will have chapters, and then smaller numbers indicate the verses, if you're not familiar with the Bible. But look at verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland on your head and pendants for your neck. My son, see, time and time again, matter of fact, 27 times through the book of Proverbs, this terminology of my son is used as of a father talking to his child, teaching them on how they are to live and to act. And Solomon is the author of many of the Proverbs, and he is writing as to an audience as if they were his spiritual sons and daughters on how they are to live, how they are to interact, how they are to conduct themselves within this world. And he was showing the importance of teaching our children. It's no mistake that in the rallying cry for the nation of Israel, known as the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6, all Israelites, Jews know this, and it goes, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And all Jews know this. What most people forget, though, are the words that come right after this. It's not just a, a theological statement. It's also a treatise and instructions on how to raise your children. It says this, in verse 6, And these words that I command you today shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your home, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes." You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. See, God is showing there that this is who I am, and this is how you are to communicate who I am to the next generation. Parenting is huge, is massive, and it's screwed up in our society today. It is so messed up. And God is calling us back to say, follow my word. And people say, oh, it's not messed up. And their lives bear the scars of so many of their parents' poor choices or the choices that they themselves have made. See, God has made his spiritual laws just like the law of gravity. If you pick something up and drop it, there's a consequence of dropping it. You can try it a million times. It's going to have the same result. If you continue in sin, there will always be a consequence. God has designed it that way. When you turn away from him, it may not be immediate, but it will be there. Parenting is powerful because not only do we learn who we are, we learn who God is and how he interacts with us. And I, I speak to you today as one in the midst of the trenches. I'm not a perfect parent. Matter of fact, I'm a, perif- I'm a terrified parent. I'm petrified because I, I recognize how God has made parents to be. I'm reminded of the story of George Sweeting. George Sweeting was uh, uh, the uh, president of Moody Bible Institute from 1971 to 1987. He is an elder at Chena Lakes Community Bible Church in um, the northern suburbs up in Lake Villa. He's in his late 80s, early 90s. And a few years ago, Moody publishers approached him, and they said, we would like to publish uh, a book that you wrote 50 years ago on parenting and redo it. 
and we just need your permission to do it. And he goes, no, no. I wrote that when I was in the midst of it, and a lot of the things that I wrote then I recognized were wrong. He recognized there was humility in that because he, in his, in essence, uh, hubris, I don't think he intentionally meant to be that way, is that you have a tendency to think it's just this way. And yes, there are God's principles, but there's a lot of other parts we have to fill in by faith and love. Make sure we have the heart. And I, and, and I think he recognized that. So I, I speak to you of one is, is going through the midst of it. I'm not a perfect parent, but I'm trying. I'm trying to do what God wants me to do with my children. Now, the question that I often get from folks is this. When does parenting end? Never. Never. Matter of fact, we are to be parents no matter what their life stage or their situation. No matter what our life stage or situation, no matter, we don't ever stop being parents. Now, our role changes through the years. When, we're, when they have our very small children, our role is one thing. We're, you know, we're feeding them, we're cleaning them, we're supervising them, and we're teaching them, all the time teaching them and growing them. And as they become adolescents, we're to prepare them for, for adulthood and, and continually teaching them and guiding them when they get to be, in our culture, 17, 18 years old. We let them off but, and out into the world. Now, we're to continually instruct them and teach them the Word of God, but we no longer have the same role as we did when they were infants. It changes. We become mentors and coaches, but we still continue to be a parent. Even to this day, I'm still calling my, my family and asking for advice on things, recognizing their wisdom. And, and, and just my mother, I mean, my mother has a, a high school education, which is great. I've gone on. I've done master's degrees, but yet does that mean anything? I still want my mom's advice. My mom has got wisdom. She's my mother. She's, she means something to me. It doesn't matter how much education I have. There's something about the parent that speaks to us, no matter what happens despite the years, that God has made it to be that way. We're to help us, and she's still, my, in essence, my escort. And what I mean by that is, is as, uh, just as you see police escort people through town, we're to help escort our children. Now, she's letting me go, obviously, but I still go back for advice. But we're to be that police escort for our kids. And why do we, what, what are we doing? How are we to, why are we to teach them and train them to follow Jesus? Because we want them to be successful and avoid the painful consequences of sin. How many of us as parents have screwed up something in our life? Raise your hand. If you better raise your hand. How many of you want your children to repeat the same dumb mistakes that you made? See, no one does. We recognize it. We don't want our children to suffer the consequences of our sin. Matter of fact, in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 12, we read that if we follow God's commands, then it will, it will be for us, it will deliver us from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech. See, we want them to follow God's truth so they may not go down that road that we went down. We might teach them in love that they might be successful and avoid the painful consequences of sin because there are, own, there are always consequences to sin. And that perhaps the biggest reason we are to teach our children is so that they might know the Savior and His salvation. Do you know in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, Jesus is called the very wisdom of God. He is the wisdom of God. The personification of how we are to live. The example that has been set before us that we are to emulate and put into our life. To lay down our lives 
for one another, to serve one another, to love one another, to forgive one another, to admonish one another, and yet to come alongside those that are hurting, those that are sick, those that are suffering. And we see that he is the very wisdom of God. And if we see and take this wisdom to its conclusion, we see that it all points to Jesus. It all points back to him. That is the very true wisdom of God, of living for him. Now, some people might profess to be wise, but we see that they become their own cults of personality, such as Richard Dawkins, the, the very famous atheist who has now become almost a byline and, and, and people making fun of him because, in essence, they see that he is not a, a scholar any longer, but he's got his own cult of celebrity and his own religion of self and of atheism. And you know what the Scripture says about that? The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. If you want to reject God's wisdom, then be a fool. Do you want to follow Christ and do what he says, then you will be wise in the sight of God. Now, another thing that we can see that God desires for us is that we might be embracing our role as primary disciple makers. Parents, your job is to teach your children about who Jesus is. Period. It is not the church's job to teach your children about who Jesus is. When I was a youth pastor, we had parents that would literally come up like they were taxi drivers, let their kid off, go off, and then go have coffee while church was going on because they wanted the church to teach their children. That is not how God has ordained it, is that we are to be the primary faith teachers. And the church, the elders, the body is to equip you to do the work of ministry of which your children are a part of that. You are to teach them and train them up. I had one parent, uh, a family come to me, and there are two rebellious teenage sons, and they said, here, take them. What am I supposed to do with them? We want you to, to save them. I don't, do th- I don't save people. I'm not Jesus. And they're like, well, you've got to do something. Well, I'm going to train you to do it. You're to do it. You're the parent. You're to be the primary faith trainer for them. And we have to embrace our role as disciple makers. Now, if we're to follow Christ and train our children properly, then it requires us following God's formula for discipleship. Following God's formula for discipleship. Now, this isn't perfect. This is something that I have observed and seen throughout the years. Uh, and I, can, I, I spring this and take this from many different scripture passages, but I look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. You don't have to tr- turn there, but it, unless you want to. Paul is writing to young Timothy, and he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. See, Timothy comes from a spiritually mixed family. His father was an unbelieving Greek or a Gentile, and his mother um, and his grandmother were Jewish converts to Christ. And according to Second Timothy chapter three verse fifteen, we're told that Paul, uh, by Paul, that that Timothy's mother and grandmother read and taught him the scriptures. See, God's formula is to teach our children to love them and live out our faith in front of them. Now, um, we have to have that. That means we have to have a loving relationship with our kids. We, we, it's not just a dictatorial, you do what I say, that you're a drill sergeant. No, that's not what it's supposed to be. See, this is something that I've noticed throughout the years, and I want to share this with you. It's something that I've observed after being a youth pastor, being in pastoral ministry, seeing families. I've seen a lot of the negatives that have happened with it. But I want to show you this little formula. If you have relationship plus rules, that equals righteousness. Relationship plus rules. Now, that means you're to have a relationship with your child with rules, guidelines. 
then that will help lead them to righteousness. It's not a guarantee, but you're leading them to righteousness because you're showing that that you care. I'm constantly having conversations with my children. This is why we do this, honey, because I love you. This is why I want you to do this, because I care for you. I don't want you to make the same mistakes I did. I know it seems hard and you may not understand it, but trust me, I'm doing it because I love you. So relationship plus rules equals righteousness. However, the opposite is true. If you have rules without relationship, that equals rebellion. Now, I've seen a lot of people that grew up in the church, especially some reason in the 80s. Maybe it's just my exposure. But there was this rule about uh, young men couldn't have long hair. They do this, and these, these, uh, the other generation, in their love, were saying, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. But there wasn't a relationship there. But it beside it, it was the rules, what were taught. And because it was the rules that were caught and not the relationship, that led to them re- in rebelling. And I see a lot of this. Now, I don't have the third one up there, but it could be the same. If you have relationship without rules, that also leads to rebellion. That you can have a relationship and say, I love you, I'm going to be your buddy. You don't have any rules, do what you want, make your own way. That also leads to rebellion. But you know how God has a way of sometimes doing things with people that they, uh, they wouldn't otherwise expect. We're like, I'm going to have them be free thinkers. And sometimes when I see that happen, especially with very, usually very liberal parents, their, parent, their kids go the opposite way. Uh, my neighbor is a, is a reformed um, Jew. He ran a, a, a Jewish school in Brooklyn for many, many years. And he's a big free-thinking man and loves everything and teaches all different kinds of religion. He's not even really Jewish in that regard. He's following all kinds of things. And he said, you know, we raised our daughters to be these very liberal, free-thinking things. And what did they do? Become Orthodox Jews and move to Israel. Has a tendency to happen that way. To see that happen that way, that we are to love them, that we are to give them, have a relationship with rules, that are guidelines, guide ra- guardrails on life, that they might lead to righteousness. You know, kids without this type of rule and guide in their life become laws unto themselves. There was a, a TV special uh, about a herd of young elephants that were running wild. They were running over trees, uh, fighting each other, and creating havoc in their environment. There were, there were, uh, there were male, male elephants gone wild, and experts were trying to figure out what was happening. Finally, they noticed that there were no adult males in the herd. They were all teenage elephants and had lost their natural mind. The reason there were no adult male elephants is that the, the, the poachers had come in and killed all of them for the ivory. So in, in an attempt to fix the problem, the experts flew in a group of male adult elephants and dropped them into the herd. When these male elephants were dropped into the midst of the chaos, they began flapping their ears and making these sounds, the teenage element, um, and making these loud sounds. And after a few days of flapping their ears and raising their trunks and making these sounds, the teenage male elephants calmed down. As long as the teenage male elephants were calling their own shots, you had gangs of elephants that had gone crazy because of the lack of discipline. But when the adult male elephants were dropped in and they had flapped their ears and raised their trunks and made the sounds, they demanded order. See, we've got some teen terrorists today because there are no adult male elephants in their midst. We need a generation of adult male elephants, real men who will flap their ears and raise their trunks and sound out the truth of what a man really is in order to calm down a generation who doesn't know how to act because they've never seen male elephants in their midst. I can testify to that. After I was a youth pastor, there was one night uh, I was on the back of my porch in my house in the city, and I had 16 young men jammed in there, and 90% of them didn't have a father in the house. 
And they were needing guidance, wisdom, leadership. It's amazing how God has made the family to be. See, we need men and women who will dedicate themselves to training their children faithfully. Training their children faithfully. That's the next point in your notes. Training them faithfully. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says this. Train up a child. This is probably the most famous of all parenting verses. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, it's interesting here. The word train literally means to dedicate something, such as a building, to have a celebration commemorating the first time it is put to its intended use. In this instance, the term for child or youth typically refers to a preteen or a late teen years. Here the youth is consecrated to a life of godly wisdom. The way he should go, which is a way of saying that um, we should dedicate ourselves to teaching and training our children how to live God's way. If we let them choose their own path and don't lead them, shepherd them, not force them, lead them the way we are supposed to, they'll be given over to foolishness as most young people are. As many in this room can testify to, and myself included. There is, this is not so much for young children as it is, again, for preteens and teenagers, giving them initiation into adulthood as well as teaching of its expectations and responsibilities, what it means to be hard workers, faithful spouses, etc. It's about everything in life because discipleship is holistic. It's not just about praying a prayer. I don't know how much I hear Christians say that. Just pray the prayer. It is not just that. It is not that. It is following Christ with the entirety of who we are, repenting of our sins and embracing him. There is no fire insurance policy for heaven. People think if I just pray the prayer, I'm good. It's not like that. I can't see that anywhere within the word of God. Anywhere. Of someone just saying, pray the prayer and you're saved and go live the life the way you want to. I see Jesus saying, take up your cross and follow me. Die to yourself. Sacrifice, surrender. That's what I see within the word of God. I see people committing their entire life. And I see Jesus saying, broad is the pathway to destruction, and few find it. Narrow is the road to eternal life. Because it means giving everything of who we are. It means giving our marriages, giving our work, giving our career, giving our money. Everything for God to direct. And not just this praying the prayer and you're all good. Sign right here. No. How many people I hear say that all the time? I'm like, that's great. That's a good starting point. Let's get moving. Because you, know you know what Christianity was called at the very beginning? It was called the way. Because it meant the way to live. It means confessing, receiving Christ, and then living for him. And we need to be training our children faithfully, teaching them, living that truth out in our life. It doesn't mean thump them over the head or berate or belittle them into following Christ. It doesn't mean being sarcastic to them and totally just demeaning who they are as people. That is not what God meant. It is not what the Word of God says. We also must make sure, not only are we training them faithfully, but we're praying for them fervently. Do you pray for your children? I'm not talking just about your, if you have children in the home. I'm talking about if you're a grandparent or a great-grandparent, do you pray for your children? You know your prayers are powerful. They're time bombs. They go off for the next generation. I can't tell you how many people I have read over the years where God used the prayers of a mother or a grandmother or a father or grandfather 
to transform not just an individual, but a generation of their children and grandchildren. I mean, I think of all of uh, when communist Russia was going on and how they tried to stamp out Christianity. And when, they, when the walls came down, they found out that Christianity was very much alive. And you know why? It was because of the Russian grandmothers had taught their grandchildren and their children about what it meant to follow Christ in the midst of persecution. Or I think of individuals such as James Dobson who attributed his ministry to a praying grandfather who prayed for his children and his grandchildren during his lunch hour. There are so many different individuals. The theologian Augustine in the third century attributed his conversion to his mother Monica praying for him fervently over and over and over again. I think of a, a, a professor that I had when I was a student. He was also a choir director at Moody. His name was Jerry Edmonds. And Jerry, uh, Dr. Edmonds used to say, you know, I always knew when I came home, I'd get off the bus from school, and I'd see this mark on my mother's head. It was this red mark on her head, and I knew exactly what it meant. It meant that she'd been laying face down in her chair in the living room and had her thumb pressed up, and she was praying for me. That's what it meant. And every time I came to that door, I knew that she'd been praying for me. Do you pray for your kids? Do you pray for your grandchildren? Do you pray that they would be followers of Christ? Do you pray for their spouses? Do you pray for their children? Do you pray for the next generation? I pray for my children. Every night we pray for their future spouses. My four-and-a-half-year-old has no clue what I'm praying about. Pray for wife? I'm not married. No, but you will be. I pray that you will be, and I pray for her. And, and you might be a parent here today, and you might say, hey, I've blown it. I'm way past that stage. It's never too late to pray for your kids. Never too late to pray for your kids. Pray for them fervently. Now, here's another well-verse, well-known verse on parenting. It's found in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. This is probably the most controversial of passages, especially from the world's perspective. But it is, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Now, it's true, like with any verse, any passage of Scripture, there is abuse. Uh, there are people that abuse their children, and that's not what the Scripture is talking about here. This is talking about loving discipline. There's another pro- proverb in chapter 22, verse 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Now, one of the responsibilities of being an authentic, godly parent is for us to make sure that we are implementing loving discipline. Now, I I made sure that I had the word loving because that's what it is. It's loving. It's not harsh. Again, it's not abusive. It is not belittling. Um, It is meant for their correction. And... uh, it's done in many different cultures that I've seen. Matter of fact, uh, I'm gonna, Joel uh, Bedal uh, told me a story one time of his father, uh, Bill Bedal, who's a good friend of our family. When he, when he was young, and how many of you can testify this, that when you got in trouble as a kid, you had to cut a switch off the tree? Anybody had to do that when they were children? No one had to do that? There's a few. Yeah, there's a few. Had to cut the switch off a tree. Bill had to cut a switch off the tree. Isn't that right, Joel? And he got in trouble, and his mother said, you wait till your father gets home. You're going to have to cut a switch off the tree. So his mother left, and his and father wasn't there, and they came back, and guess what? He, he burnt down the tree. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy. <laughs> because he recognized that discipline was coming. Discipline was coming. And we are to 
discipline our kids. Of course, the rod is referring to spanking, a type of corporate discipline. But let me say that spanking, when done properly, is not abuse. I'm not talking about hitting in rage, hitting them in the face or the body, or with cruel things like uh, extension cords. I've heard, of, uh, I've heard of some really insane things that some parents have done. That's abuse. I'm not talking about hitting in rage, again, or, uh, but hitting them on the, the bottom. And this is not done at every age, but depends on the child uh, and the age of the child. The main thing it is referring to is disciplining our children. Discipline is the key word there. And since the rod was the most used form of discipline, this proverb is speaking about the need to discipline our children. Failure to discipline our children, according to the proverb, means that we hate them. If we love our children, we must discipline them. This may mean the rod, or it could mean other things. It, could mean, it depends on the child. I know that some of my children don't, spanking does nothing for them. But you remove them from the fellowship of their peers, and they change real fast. It could be a loss of privileges. It could be movement of this. The point is discipline. That's the point, is making sure that we are disciplining our children that is appropriate to the age and understanding of the child. Now, allow me to say something about those with adult children. You may have well messed up with your kids when they were young, but don't continue to do it now that they're old. And what I mean by that is this. I have seen parents that knew that they messed up. They said, I messed up my parenting. So now when their child comes back and in desperation to have a relationship with their child, they will now let that child walk all over them. We're not to do that either. We're to have godly boundaries and hold people accountable for their behavior. And if someone, your child comes back to you and is abusive and they use it as a manipulation tactic, and I've seen children, adult children, do this to their parents to get them to let them stay at their place, to give them money, because the parent feels so guilty of how they parented that child, they willingly say, go ahead. No, we're to have godly boundaries, and, and part of that is saying no to our kids. The worst thing that we can say to our kids is yes all the time. Sometimes, though, I feel like I'm saying no. That's all I say is no. We must make sure that we are implementing loving discipline. We also can see that discipline is necessary for shepherding their heart. It's necessary for shepherding their heart. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 26 says, My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. It's a perfect description of parenting. He's saying, I need your heart, son, but I want you to see my life. I need your heart, but I want you to see my life. I don't want to just your outward behavior. Sometimes we, we have to do that. Kids just need to obey. Most, but that can't stay there. It, it must be with the heart. We must bring them back and say, Son, give me your heart. Let me show you that I love you. Listen to them. Talk with them. Affirm them. Rebuke them. And let them see your life following Christ, shepherding their heart. Disciplining them also helps aiding in leading them to holiness. Leading them to holiness. Now, if you uh, allow me, I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. You can turn there if you want. I'm sorry I don't have a page number for those with uh, pew Bibles. But Hebrews chapter 12, we get a picture of discipline and what it leads to. And this is God's discipline of us, but I think we can extract a principle for us to discipline our children um, and what our hope is for them. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 through 11, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard 
lightly regard the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by them. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subjects to the Father of spirits and live? For they, are, for they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Discipline helps lead us to holiness. It helps lead our children to holiness. And let me say this. One of the things that we see about different generations, there are certain characteristics that come with um, different generations. This generation right now, and I know that there are some, well, I hope, especially in our midst, that violate the characteristics of it, but this generation is known as the mo- most narcissistic generation that has ever lived. It's the selfie generation. It's also known as Generation Me, Millennials, Generation Y, even known as the Peter Pan generation because they never grow up. Or the boomerang generation is that we sent them off into the world and they came back. And who are known by their narcissism, pursuit of celebrity, entitlement, and unrealistic expectations and are largely products of the self-esteem movement. How many? I think many of us in this room know that. Oh, we don't want to say anything that will hurt their self-esteem. <laughs> That's what I say to that. Because, you know what, when they get into a job, their bosses are going to care about their self-esteem. We've raised up a generation of kids that have great self-esteem. Matter of fact, they think they're God's greatest gift to the world. And there's no understanding that they are to fit within the greater society. We had a young man that came in here one time. He talked to me, and I, I, I uh, looked him up on Facebook. I was curious about him. And he, his goal was to be president of the United States by the time he was 35. And he was having a hard time figuring out why he couldn't get a job. Like, you have some unrealistic expectations. I mean, I admire you for wanting to be president of the United States, but you can barely tie your shoes. I don't think God has the presidential in, in, uh, in line for you yet. Unrealistic expectations. Everybody's going to be famous. And we have to discipline them. Now, I'm not just knocking this generation. Each of us has something messed up on our own generation. All right? Each of us did. I mean, whether depending on what year you were born, you know, a generation is at about a 20-year period of time. If you were born between 1901 and through 1924, you are known as the greatest generation. If you were born between 1925 and 1942, you're known as the silent generation. If you were born between 1943 until the early 60s, you're a baby boomer. If you're born in the 1960s, mid-1960s to the early 80s, then you're a Gen Xer. If you were born between the early 80s to the 2000s, you're a millennial. And if you were born between the mid-2000s and the present day, then you are part of what is commonly known as Generation Z. And each generation has their own characteristics of how they understand the world. And as parents, we need to be familiar in how they think and that generation thinks and how we can parent them. Because each generation has good things in it and has bad things in it. And we must address the bad and embrace the good. Now, this earthly discipline that we are to... um, Uh, take our children through and uh, to do with our children also helps them in cultivating godly habits. Cultivating godly habits. See, what's the point of discipline? It's twofold. Help help us to train to be like Christ, and it helps us create godly habits, that which is pleasing in his sight. It also helps us in, in keeping them from harm. Keeping them from harm. 
How will our children know what is, is, what is painful unless we show them that there are consequences to actions? I'm going to go through these rather quickly. It also helps us in steering them to heaven. See, that's what discipline does. It helps steer them to heaven. By disciplining our children, we show them ultimately what happens to those who turn from Christ. That if they don't repent, there will be something worse coming. We're to discipline them. Now, there is a difference between discipline and punishment. Discipline is the hope of correction. Punishment is not. Punishment is meant out on action without hope of changed life. Now, what does this all mean for us? We can see that parenting isn't child's play. It's pretty hard. It's very hard. There's no silver bullet, no secret formula. It happens in the day in and day out as we learn to die to ourselves. And it means that we must be choosing daily to follow God's decrees. Choosing daily to follow God's decrees. Now, let me address this as we finish off here. If you are a parent here today and you have blown it, then you need to repent. If children, this is where you need to help your parents out because parenting is hard enough. And you will realize in almost every kid who becomes a parent, they go back to their parent and go, wow, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You need to help them out. And it's, children, if you've been making their, parent, their job hard, you need to repent. And you need to help them because they're doing it because they care for you and they love you. We need to make sure that we are repenting of past sin. If you have blown it and your children are grown, you need, you, might, you need to repent to the Lord. You might need to go to them, ask for forgiveness, and then live that life out in front of them. And then resolve to obey God's commands. Resolve to obey God's commands in the here and now. To do it right as best you can. If parents might be past, and t- that time you have with your grandchildren, or teach them, love them, bring them to church. Share Christ with them. One of the greatest gifts that I received as a child, and it meant a tremendous lot to me, was my 86-year-old grandmother gave me this Bible and wrote my name in it. It meant a lot to me. She gave that to me, and I still carry it on. I have that to this day. And, and one of the greatest things you can do for those uh, who are parents or grandparents, especially those who are grandparents, I've heard of other men that have done this, men and women have done this. They've taken their Bible, and over the years, they've written a lot of notes in it. And then they take and they give that Bible to that next generation. And then they will have that to remember always. They'll remember you, and they'll look through and see your walk with God and what meant a lot to you. Do that. That's a great way of passing on heritage and faith. We need to resolve to obey God's command, and then we need to understand that if we do what God says, then we need to be ready to receive his blessing. So we have choosing daily to follow his decrees. It means repenting of past sin. It means resolving to obey God's commands, realizing God's best, repenting of past sin, and receiving his promised blessing. Receiving his promised blessing. That if, and we can see this throughout the book of Proverbs. I know we've jumped around today. But God will bless us when we do his will and when we follow his commands. It doesn't, it's not a guarantee that our children won't rebel. After all, God is the only perfect parent, and look how we rebel. God is the only perfect parent, and we still rebel. But we need to be, more often than not, receive that promised blessing of living a life for him. Parenting isn't child's play. As we've seen today, it's exhausting. It's overwhelming, but by God's grace, we can do it. We, can, we will fail at times. We're going to scream and yell at our kids. Hopefully, that's not all the time, because then they'll turn a deaf ear to us. The past can't be changed. You, as a parent, may need to ask for forgiveness. You may need to repent from the poor parenting you have done, but that need not stop you from praying, from pursuing God's best for you now.
to keep teaching them, keep loving them, and watch God work. You're sowing seeds. It's not child's play, and you're not perfect, but God uses the crooked lines of your life to write words of blessing and praise on the generation entrusted to our care. He can do it and has done great things. We'll continue to do great things as we trust and hope in him. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are reminded that you are God, that you are the only perfect parent, that you discipline us because you love us, and Lord, that parenting is done in the trenches. So often we want deliverance when what you want from us is daily obedience. Lord, help us to die daily, to take up our cross, to follow you, to have joy and peace in you, to exhibit the relationship with you that we want our children to have. Lord, we know our failures, we know our distractions, we know the myriad of temptations and struggles and troubles that meet us along the way. We face so many pressures day in and day out, whether they're financial, relational, uh, career, school, whatever it might be, they daily constrain us and seemingly keep us from being the parents that you want us to be. But Lord, by your grace and by your spirit, help us to live out the truth that we espouse that your name might receive glory. And Lord, help us to be the parents, you, that are a blessing in your side and a blessing to those around, that your name might receive glory and that we might increase in joy. In Jesus' name, amen.